As a Papuan Australian woman, I acknowledge that I am a settler on this land that I live, work and create on. I acknowledge there are ongoing native title cases on this land today due to the impacts of colonisation and I want to pay my respects to the many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples of this country and to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello listeners and welcome back to the podcast series, Our Women, Our Stories. Thank you for your patience as I develop this new round of episodes for 2022. And if you have been with me since the start of this podcast, then you will know that this series is a sub-phase of an Australian Council of the Arts funded project called Our Knowledge, Our Practice, Our Stories, which is coordinated by myself. In today's episode, I share space with two powerhouse women, and I want to emphasize this term because of the great strength these women have in the delivery of their messages for community. This recording has left me reflecting about the ways that I work and tell stories for and with our community. And this original recording was actually done in the later part of 2021, and I intended to publish it at the end of my project. But as the year has progressed, I feel like these words and messages actually need to be shared earlier than that. As I said, I know we often use the term powerhouse to describe people, but I wanted to highlight this term in association with these women because the work they do is changing the blueprint of what is expected of our community every day. They've been a part of and coordinated so many projects that give voice to our people, and I want to thank them for their work, and you'll learn a little bit more about what they do in the episode soon. As you listen to this episode, no doubt you will feel the energy and spirit that defines this term powerhouse. We discuss themes of being a Pacifica diaspora living in Australia, the value of rest, the strength of our women, cultural healing and the spirit attached with our ways of living and being. There are going to be three parts for this episode, so let's jump straight into it. Introducing our first podcast guest, Lisa Viliamu. Okay, my name is Lisa Sina Viliamu Jameson. I'm a proud Tumaitai Samoa, meaning Samoan woman. and I'm based here on Yagara land in Mianjin here in Brisbane. Um, I am a campaigner for an organization called 350 Australia. So I work in the climate movement space, um, amplifying frontline voices. And I am also a creative director of uh, a small arts business called Conscious Mike. So we use music, art, and culture to um, amplify the stories of our communities who are often not heard. Um, And I mix my love for my culture and for art. um, And that's my practice is um, bringing the two together um, in a way that um, also, I guess, has a message and is what I guess people would consider activism. Um, But for me, it's just protecting um, our practices, yeah. And now introducing our final podcast guest, Mary Harm. So my name is Mary Marcelina Harm. I'm a proud Samoan Chinese Fijian, born in Canada, but raised here um, in Mianjin, Brisbane, on Turubal country. But today I'm joining you from Yakara country. what do I do? I often find that a very hard question to answer. Um, for my nine to five, I'm the Pacific Islands community worker statewide. 
Um, and in the other time, I wear a few different hats, but probably more significantly the Queensland Coordinator for Pacific Climate Warriors um, and the Multicultural Youth Ambassador for Queensland. And I guess what weaves all those different roles together for me is my passion for storytelling, um, for social change um, and how we can use culture, um, one of them, but also just the many ways that we can tell stories to create the change that we want to see um, for our communities. This is a little bit more about your entrance into this work that you do. So could you share a little bit with me about your entrance into this area of work around cultural healing and activism? Okay, so I've always been interested in the arts and growing up as a Samoan woman was, uh, Samoan, sorry, was always surrounded by um, aunties and uncles who had tattoos and, um, you know, tapa and siapo and um, we grew up doing siva and dance so was always immersed in the arts. Um, as I got older, I realised that uh, there weren't many spaces for um, my community for Pacific Islanders here in Brisbane, in Mianjin, um, that I guess was safe. And so um, I realised a lot of my friends were very, very talented, um, specifically in music, and were working jobs that just didn't really suit where their talents were. So um, I created my own platform through Conscious Mike and... Um, just was like, you know what, I'm an artist manager with no experience, no training, no mentors, um, and sort of faked it until I made it and started doing tour management and, um, you know, bookings and um, promos and that type of thing. And then um, went more into the arts in terms of exhibition work and, again, faked it, pretended I was a curator. (laughs) Um, no official training, but I think for me, um, it was just out of necessity, like there was no spaces and it just felt like people around me had these gifts and talents and I felt like they needed to be seen and appreciated. So, um, that's how I started working in terms of the arts, um, because I don't particularly have a talent myself. <laughs> um, my, 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 I guess my art is creating the space. Well, in terms of activism, I've always been really passionate about um, human rights and Indigenous rights. Uh, um, you know, for me, I remember working at my auntie's shop on the south side. It was like this little island shop and I saw these really um, moving pictures on Facebook. Uh, I was on computer not working, just (laughs) um, on the newsfeed and I saw these Pacific Islanders had travelled to um, the world's largest coal port in Newcastle and were blocking these huge coal ships with traditional canoes. Um, And for me, it was like, really moved by that imagery and um, searched more into it and realised that they were protesting against climate change and the fossil fuel industry and decided to volunteer from there. 
um, realizing for me personally, like Pacific Islanders shouldn't have to leave the island homes to come protest against the government here. There's islanders here that can do that in solidarity. So um, that's how I got into, I guess, climate activism. Love that. Good answer, Lisa. Um, for myself, I think growing up, we, we as in my family, we didn't have a lot of family around us. Um, I grew up in a very white neighborhood um, and going to school with kids that probably didn't share the same experience as myself. Um, and so it, I guess it was like a, a bit of an identity crisis from a very young age. And so growing up and then having to, I guess, code switch between different spaces, but also within my family because we're such a, a multicultural family. Um, it was often hard to kind of figure out where my place was and like what my purpose, yeah, what is my purpose and what is my place in this world and and who am I? Those kind of fundamental questions I always had to ask myself. And when you're young, you know, that's quite challenging. Um, and I wasn't immersed in my culture as much as I wanted to be. And I didn't have the resources or the, the spaces um, to access it and I didn't know how to access it. Um, so yeah, growing up was a bit difficult in terms of identity, um, just trying to figure out who I am and what my purpose is. And I think it wasn't until I got to university um, when it, it really clicked how much of a minority Pacific Islanders are in terms of education, tertiary education, um, but also just in places where I thought they should be, you know, in places where we should have Pacifica voices. I didn't realise until I got to uni that they weren't there. Um, and this is when, you know, we we found, I found, sorry, other like-minded people who kind of shared this similar identity crisis journey, um, but also that call, that call to action that we want more voices in, in spaces that we think that we are deserving of. Um, so we came together and we created um, a Pacifica Association that has now, I think, for about six six years now, seven years now, um, going. But it was really, I guess, a network and a support system that we built for ourselves um, that has now become a support system for others that still undergo that same kind of identity struggle. Um, and it was from then when I, we were able to teach each other about our culture. And for me, like I can't speak my mother tongue. Um, and so participating in culture used to be quite um, daunting because there was only so much I could contribute to or understand. Um, so for me, I kind of found my way through Siva Samo, so through dance. Um, and that was my language and the way that I connected to culture and I could participate fully and wholeheartedly in that. Um, so it's a, it's an ever evolving journey, I think. Um, but that's kind of how I, I I got involved in terms of community work and understanding the needs of our community, um, understanding how we can organize and mobilize community and what's meaningful to our community. Um, and from then on, it was kind of just doors opened left, right, and center in terms of how we can continue to empower, um, especially our young people to 
yet yeah, obviously step up, but also step up in a way that's meaningful to them, not the standards of Western society. And yeah, that's kind of where my journey started and fortunate enough that that same journey also led me to meet amazing people like Lisa, who creates space um, in the climate in the climate justice space. And it kind of all intertwined really like, what's the right word? Organically, that's my word. Yes. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. Feel free to take your time with this question because some people struggle to think of an instance. Can you think of a story where you have experienced healing? So I guess they're kind of two questions. I'll do it first in the healing aspect. Can you share a time where you have experienced healing through your cultural practices? That's one question. Or can you share a time where you have used your cultural practices in your activism? Mm. (laughs) Um, So I don't like to, for Samoans, a lot of Samoan people, um, when they're biracial, call themselves Afakasi, and I do not identify with that. I don't believe in blood quantums. Um, For me, I'm a Samoan woman, and my dad, um, he is white, but I identify with my Samoan side and my culture on my mum's side. So, um, but when I was growing up, there was a real identity issue for me about, I don't know where I fit, I'm not accepted by either, and, and it was like this constant battle um, and I remember when I was just about 20, yeah, but around 20, um, I decided to compete in the Miss Samoa Australia pageant. <laughs> and like when I tell people that who are not Samoan, they're kind of like, what, a pageant? And they have this idea of like a Western beauty pageant, like a Miss Universe, but Samoan pageants are definitely not like that. Um, it's about grace it's about how you represent your family and your culture you know you you perform your siva your dance and uh, it's about storytelling and community and I remember when I um, told my family that I was going to do it my my grandmother was like don't embarrass me (laughs) 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 which was just her Samoan humor but also she was serious and, um, you know, they were really protective of me. They didn't want me to get hurt or embarrass myself. And um, what ended up happening was it was really transformational for me. I loved the experience. I connected with so many young women. And my grandmother gifted me a fine mat, an iakonga that um, is the only thing that she's given me. Um, and... I wore it and I performed in it and it was just such an empowering experience and I was so proud and um, she ended up passing away but I kept that yokoma and I still have it and for those of you who don't know that what that is it's like um, a mat that's been woven um, it's really beautiful and there's a whole process of creating them um, and it's yeah, intricately woven. It's got red feathers at the bottom and we wear it when we perform. Um, and 
I've actually taken that Yokonga, that fine mat with me um, all across Australia. I've worn it at protests. I've worn it in parliament sit-ins, uh, protesting for climate justice. I've travelled up to the Torres Strait. I've worn it um, and spoken to elders and community up there. And, you know, when I wear it, I feel so powerful and it reminds me of my wife, my grandmother, um, and all the values that she taught me. Um, but I feel like, yeah, through through my culture and all, I, I don't know how to tie this all back in and how it's healed me, but I can safely say at my age now that I no longer feel insecure about my identity. I know who I am. And... Um, yeah, like I look back at the younger woman I was and I think, oh, what are you stressing about? Like there's things that are so much more, like we don't have time to stress about whether people accept you. You need to accept yourself mm-hmm. because there's change that needs to happen. And so I think somehow that mat has given me that confidence. Um yeah, and Mary's seen it. Mm. <laughs> it's like full of holes now, but um, I love the way you, I love the way you articulated that. I don't. Yeah, I can't explain how it, it's healed me. That piece of my grandmother, but yeah. Mm. What about you, Mary? I think I think I have two two kind of stories. I think one would be. Siva Samoan, traditional Samoan dance has definitely been healing for me, but I don't think I realised it until you asked this question, to be honest. Like, you know when you know it, but you just never say it, like you don't call it. Um, but I think for me, like I was never taught Siva Samoan, like nobody taught me. I've seen it, like I, you know, you go to family functions and, and cultural events and you see it, but seeing it is different from doing it. Um, and so I think the first time I performed Siva Samoa was with at our culture night with uni. And I remember inviting my parents and my mom didn't even know I could Siva Samoa. She was like, who, like, you know, how, how, how can this be? <laughs> really? She was just so shocked that it actually, and it also looked okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it, it actually looked quite decent. Um, and I think that was like a realization for me that like it's some some things are just not how do I wear this. Sometimes it's just a gift. Like some things you you don't need to be taught. It's just you've already got it, but you just haven't tapped into it. If that makes sense. Um, and so that was a kind of I guess a realization for me in that well actually even though I haven't been able to participate in culture the way I thought I could, I could always, like I always was able to, but I just, I just, yeah, had activated that part of my brain that said, actually, you already know how to do this. Um, and I guess similar to Lisa, like I've been able, that, that gift has carried me into spaces that I don't think I could give in any other way, if that makes sense. Um, and it's more than just a dance, you know, it's, it's storytelling, but it's also, it's how we preserve culture. 
Um, and it's like, it's, it's a spiritual connection that I just can't, I don't know how to describe in this moment, to be honest. Um, but in that moment, I always feel my most authentic self when I see the song. I don't know why my voice is like. <laughs> um, so that's one instance. And I, yeah, I, I do find healing in that. And not just gifting it, but also being able to share it. And I had an opportunity this year to to share and gift it with some young, some beautiful young girls in the Torres Strait who also, I guess, have Samoan ancestry down the line. Um, but to be able to you know, want to be able to firstly gift it and sh- and perform it and share it, but then to pass it on to someone else, like that's a beautiful thing. And that's, I think, healing in itself um, for me. And then I guess my second story would be when I used to work in high schools, working with young young Pacifica people. And, you know, for me, I've, I've never seen being Pacifica as a, as a deficit. Like I've never seen it as something that's... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Like, I've always seen it as a plus. Like, I've always been proud to be Pacific Island. And I've never thought it was something that would be a barrier to me to get to anywhere. Like, it was just never in my perspective, or like how I, I view Pacific Islander people. And it wasn't until I, you know, I was helping young people in schools and realizing that that's all they've been told is that because you're Pacific Islander, you will never make it because you're Pacific Islander. Like you don't have these skills or, you know, like everything that I thought was so great about being Pacific Islander, they were taught opposite. Um, And that was really, yeah, strange to me to hear because you know, like we're like the best employees ever, you know, like we're people, like we're people, people, like we know how to adapt. We know how to like manage somewhat time. Um, you know, we're multitaskers. Like we are just great in any workforce, but for young people to be told that because they're Pacific Islander, they will never make it and they can only do certain jobs or, or you know, certain things because of that just blew my mind and so I think when I felt that being able to use our culture to shift that that um, way of thinking and that narrative you know just even simple things like our song or using language in the classroom when we see like you know when I see another young person at lunchtime like we'll greet each other in language simple things like that just to you know put a bit of pride into what it means to be Pacific Islander um, but that's been healing for me as well, to be able to, yeah, be part of our young people. Like, you know, culture, nurturing our young people. I think culture needs to lead in that perspective. Um, it's like, it's funny, actually, um, when I ask people that question, a lot of them say, does that make sense? Like, I can't explain why it does this, but it just yeah, does. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I suppose from both of your answers, um, obviously, I feel like when you're part of this community who don't always live in the islands and are living somewhere else, you go through these stages of an identity crisis, as you mentioned, um, because people are putting these narratives in your mind that you don't necessarily agree with. Where do you think these narratives have even come from? I want to say rep- like representation. Um, and then we talk about, you know, decision makers. Like we don't see our people at, at, 
you know, in those spaces either. Um, so I think it, yeah, I think for me, representation is where a lot of that stems from. Um, and I think about those kids that I've been able, you know, being able to be part of their journey in schools. And I think about, well, actually all their teachers, I don't think they see themselves in any of their teachers. Um, and so it's, yeah, I would think that is part of it. Obviously there's other things, but I think lack of representation, um, would definitely be one. And we said in things like the media as well. Um, in you know the stories and the films that we would watch as kids, I think all those things affect how we perceive ourselves, but also how we perceive our community as a whole. Yeah. I guess as an extension, like for me, because both my parents come from different cultural backgrounds and like quite like traditional cultural backgrounds. Like I don't think for themselves they're probably still learning each other's culture. Yeah, so then, yeah, so then to teach your kids, yeah, I feel like we kind of got taught a hybrid version of both cultures, um, which I realised, like, as we get old, older, like, some of the things we do, I'm like, oh, and then I realised that someone else does not do that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's interesting what's done differently. I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's just our family or is that the actual culture? Like, I'm not sure. Um, Did you feel yeah. like you were in two worlds? Because then when we go home... Or like when we'd go to New Zealand or Samoa and be around our Samoan family, that was like a totally different world where mum mm. was like, <laughs> yeah, <Far> like, enough. <laughs> hey, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, she's like a completely different person there. Yeah. And you had like a separate identity there. But then when you come back to school. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, go code switch, as you said before. That's true, hey. And then it becomes this thing, like, who am I? And it's almost like a third world. <laughs> yeah. Like, you just add a third world because then it's like, yeah. Like, I don't know if you, like, when you go to Samoa and you're a foreigner in Samoa. Yeah. Even though you're Samoan. Yeah. 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 But interestingly, though, my family has never called me like Afakasi you know what I mean Mm. like I am just Lisa in my family but then I'll have people here in Australia who yeah aren't someone who'll be like oh but you like look really fair I'm like yeah but cool (laughs) it's got nothing to do with cultural Mm. identity that's true hey Hi listeners, our conversation continues in part two of this episode with Lisa and Mary, which is coming up next.